how do you measure faith? Our text this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. May you show us what faith is. May you cause us to know what it is and to do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, I went to Sandy Beach on Oahu and saw a bunch of body surfers riding on the big waves. So I jumped right in, but I didn't see all the unseen dangers. Sandy Beach is wicked. The waves are big, and they come one after another. And then there's an undertow that pulls you down and back. I tried to ride a wave, but got smashed. And then I got pulled back out, just as another and another wave crashed over my head so I couldn't surface for air. I knew that I was dead, but tumbling head over heels and getting tossed and panting and crawling, barely alive onto dry land, I lived. It's important to have a proper view. And we'll learn this morning from the saints of old, it's life or death, and that we should view the unseen scene. The unseen scene. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And it says there in verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now before I get started here, I want to say this. Faith is not a commitment to a set of theological principles. Faith is not commitment to a set of theological principles. In fact, the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us exactly what faith is. Now notice what he says here, first of all. Now faith is the assurance, the assurance of things hoped for. Now that word assurance there in the Greek is hypostasis. Hypostasis, sound familiar to you? This is a very important word when it comes to Trinitarian orthodoxy, but hypostasis means the essence or essential nature of a thing. In fact, to put it colloquially, it would be this, that which stands under, that which stands under. So the writer says this, now faith is that which stands under things hoped for. And notice the second part of this. The conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. Now, the Greek word there for conviction is allegkos. It means, of course, inner conviction, but persuasion. Persuasion. The persuasion of things not seen. So how does faith work? Faith sees the unseen. Sees the unseen. Let's go on to verse 2. For by it the people of old received their commendation, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Our ancestors in the faith received their commendation. Receive their commendation is actually a Greek verb, and it's martureo, martureo. When you look through this text this morning and you see commendation, the word underlying that is martureo. Does that sound familiar to you? That's where we get our word martyr from. It means literally to be martyred, to be martyred. Martyretro means to bear witness to, to testify via something, by faith. In fact, that's why we have the word martyr. It bears witness to the faith. In fact, for the early church to be martyred was the most essential way to evangelize. They didn't have television or radio or the internet. 
And one of the most primary ways of reaching a hostile culture was to go into the arena and to give up your life. But prior to that, with words to preach the good news and with acts to give up your life for the faith. They were martyred. And so here, the people of old received their commendation. They were martyred. They were martyred for what? By faith, we understand. By faith, pistis, that's the Greek word there. Very important word throughout the New Testament. Pistis, by faith, we know what? The universe was created by God. More particularly, it was created by the word of God. The logos of God causes things to happen. The logos of God creates things. When God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, things are created. When God says, let there be light, there was light. No pre-existing, re-oscillating Darwinian creation, but from nothing, ex nihilo, God created everything, and we know these things by faith from the word of God. Going on to verse four. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through faith, though he died, he still speaks. What did Abel see that Cain didn't? Kids, you ever thought about that? Why did Cain kill Abel? And why did God commend Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? Well, let's take a look at the story really quickly. Just in brief, in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3, it says this. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And we're told God accepted Abel's sacrifice of the animals, and God rejected Cain's sacrifice. And Cain got so angry at his brother that he killed him. What was it about Abel's sacrifice that was so worthy? Well, Abel saw something by faith. He brought animals, and the animals were sacrificed, and blood was shed. It's after the fall. Blood needs to be sacrificed and shed to cover our sins. And I want to submit to you that Abel saw. Abel saw by faith that sacrifice must be by blood. In fact, I want to say this. Abel saw by faith that sacrifice must be by blood all the way to the final sacrifice at the cross. Now, he didn't understand all these things fully. He didn't know that Messiah was going to come through a nation called Israel. He wouldn't have understood all the peculiarities of the cross and the resurrection. But I believe that Abel clearly understood animals must be sacrificed, blood must be shed until God provides the perfect sacrifice. And so Cain hated him and killed the man that saw the unseen. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Kids, you ever looked at Enoch? He's an interesting guy. Two men in the Bible were taken alive from this life translated out without seeing death. Enoch's one, and the other one's Elijah. And what do we see here about Enoch? Enoch, who saw the unseen, was commended, he was martyred, 
by and pleased God and was taken to God without seeing death. Now, what did Enoch do? What was his actions of faith? Well, I want to submit there's two things that Enoch did. Enoch preached with his words, and Enoch acted. How did he act? Enoch fathered Methuselah, the oldest man that ever lived. Methuselah. Methuselah's name means when he dies, it shall come. When Methuselah died, the flood came. Enoch saw this centuries before it happened. Revealed to him by faith by God, he saw the destruction was coming upon the world, and he acted by naming his son, when he dies, it will come. Now, Enoch also had words that he spoke. In Jude chapter, uh, verse 14 of Jude, it says this, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with his ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all of the ungodly, of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Here's a man prior to the flood way back in that old world, who preached out against the ungodly, who stood up against a generation of the wicked. We must have faith. You must believe that God is real and the rewarder of those who seek him. Let's go on to verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Think about Noah for a minute. A hundred and twenty years he built the ark. As far as we can tell, at least as far as the amount of moisture that pours out from the ground and comes down from the heavens in the flood, no one had ever seen anything like this before. It would have seemed foolish and unbelievable, and yet Noah believed it, and he preached to that generation and warned them of the coming of God's judgment, and he acted by for 120 years. Three biblical generations of 40 years built a giant ship in a time and place where no one thought that would ever be needed. No one saw Noah saw the unseen and built a huge ship and told the world that judgment was coming. And then because of his faith, his household and the animals were saved. Because of Noah having faith, the world was saved. Noah believed God and he acted. Going on to verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, you look at Abraham, and you look back upon thousands of years. You look at all the motifs of faith that are carried forth through the Old and New Testament. And we look at that, and we say, well, of course God was bringing these things about. But when Abraham acted, none of this existed. When Abraham believed God, he went on an unbelievable journey to a place he didn't know. This is at a time and a place before we've got the internet and encyclopedias. He came from the land of modern-day Iraq. He walked up through modern-day Turkey. 
He took his family with him, and then he dropped down from the north into Canaan, modern-day Israel. It's a distance greater than from here to Canada, and he did it on foot. He did it at a time where there were no international treaties. There was no Waze or Google Maps. The land was filled with dangerous tribes and kingdoms, and God told him to go to a land that I'm going to show you, a land that he had not seen yet. But Abraham saw the unseen. And God wanted Abraham there because he's building a huge city, a city that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would have to look at from far away, a city, friends, that you see with your very eyes and you feel under your feet this very morning the heavenly city of Jerusalem. Going on to verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. Sarah saw the unseen. Now, maybe you, like I, have looked at the account in Genesis and God comes and speaks with Abraham, and it seems like it's just being put off and put off forever and ever when he's going to finally have an heir, a son through his wife, Sarah. And Sarah hears, now the time's come. It's going to happen this year. And she laughs. And you think, well, is she unfaithful? But we're told here she's a woman of faith who believed. She laughed at God's promise, but here we're told she believed. An old man, and more importantly, an old barren woman by faith saw that God would make them a great nation. And in their lifetimes, they would see so little of it. One son, Isaac, but through this will come a great nation, a nation that will be so numerous it will be like the stars of the heavens, like the sand of the seashore. She saw and she believed. Verse 13, these all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. These all saw the unseen from afar. And what did they see? Let's remind ourselves once again. First of all, Abel saw from afar the final sacrifice. Enoch and Noah saw the flood. Abraham and Sarah saw the body of Christ. They acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They were looking afar at things that they longed to look at near. And guess who sees it near, friends? You do. You see the things that they longed for. You see them clearly. Abel looked down through the centuries and saw, oh, so mistily that there must be a final sacrifice. But you see the story. You see the story passing through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see the story going through the Davidic line and the coming of Messiah. You see him going to the cross to die for the sins of the world and to rise from the dead on the third day and to ascend to the right hand of the Father and pour out the Spirit to establish the body of Christ. You not only see it, but you're part of it, you're experiencing it. Kids, sometimes you think you live in a boring time. These are the most exciting times in the history of the world. You'll look back upon these days in eternity to come and see that these were the days of eternity to echo from. Now going on to verse 14. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. These all saw the unseen and knew they were strangers and needed a homeland. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pull this all together here. Look at this. They desire a better city. They're not going to experience these things apart from us. What about you? Are you wanderers like they were? In one sense, yes. You have seen the unseen of the not yet. Jesus hasn't come again at the final coming, and the sinful age has not ended yet, and yet. Look at this. Go down to verse 40 of chapter 11 there of Hebrews. It says there, God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, I don't think this is talking about the perfections of the end of this age, but rather I think it's the perfections that lead toward the end of this age, that is the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming and the establishment of the body of Christ, that we together with them are part of this. And we see this entire trajectory through the book of Hebrews and coming down to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22, it says, but you have come to Mount Zion. He's speaking to Hebrew Christians scattered across the Palestinian world in the first century. But through the word of God, he's speaking to you and I. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Remember that city that Sarah and Abraham are longing for? But you've come to that city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You are part of the heavenly city of Jerusalem. You're the temple of the living God. You're the stone upon stone that that temple is made up of. Fleshly stones, the body of Christ, as innumerable as the sands of the seashore. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what Abraham would see if he looked across the world as imperfect as the church is today? And yet there's millions and millions and billions of us and there's been millions of us over the centuries going forth from the 120 in the upper room. And friends, what a privilege it is for living in these days, having the word of God and the testimony of the fulfillment of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have that which these saints of old longed to look into. What are you going to do with it? God is building a city here and now. I tried out a brand new and rather expensive jerkbait lure that I bought on Amazon Prime Days. Man, that lure was sweet, and I could see it was going to catch me some bass. But within a few casts, it got snagged on some unseen underwater debris, and the line snapped, and it was gone forever. I could not see the unseen. The world always looks sweet to the bought-in prosperous unbeliever. They don't see that there's more to life than what's before your eyes. Judgment, like an unseen snag, is coming. And there's a better city, a better homeland with the people of God. But you've got to see the unseen. You've got to have faith 
this morning, we've glimpsed the unseen seen. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, build up our faith. We confess that we are always faithless, far less than we should be. We pray that you would give us more faith. Give us faith to see the unseen, to see how you are moving all things to its appointed end for your honor and glory, for your kingdom, for yourself, and even for us as the people of God. Help us to walk forth joyfully in faith this day, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.